The Scuttlebutt is proud to welcome Millerstown Pick Apart, a self-service salvage yard where you can get parts you need for your car, truck, or van at very attractive prices because you do the work. Bring your own wrenches, hammers, screwdrivers, sockets, jacks, drills, or whatever you need, except for torches, to wrestle out the parts you need for the vehicles in the yard. Millerstown Pick Apart was created 17 years ago to provide reasonably priced solutions for auto parts needs. Millerstown is the perfect fit for those seeking discount auto parts to repair their own vehicles. Millerstown has a huge inventory of cars, which they purchase from individuals, towing companies, and auctions, and from its sister auto salvage recycling operation. For hours, directions, inventory, parts availability, and pricing, you can go to pickapartyard.com. That's P-I-C-A-P-A-R-T-Y-A-R-D, pickapartyard.com, or call 724-224-4777. That's pickapartyard.com, or call 724-224-4777. That is, uh, it is very hard to imagine what's going on in Afghanistan, and it's very difficult for me because I grew up in Afghanistan, so it is very hard not to think about them. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club, whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. If you've been listening to The Scuttlebutt or this is your first time, we would really appreciate it if you liked, shared, subscribed, ring the bell on YouTube so you are the first to know whenever we post our new episodes. Also, you can send me an email at Sean, that's S-H-A-U-N, at Veterans Breakfast Club. Org. Uh, I am very excited for this is sort of the end of our Afghan Afghanistan series here. Um, we've heard from someone who was evacuated from Kabul. Uh, we've heard from uh, an army veteran. Um, we've talked with an Iraqi uh, interpreter. Uh, and today joining us will be Murtaza Hanarpour, who is an Afghan interpreter and worked with the Americans, uh, who now lives in California. Um, also joining me, as usual, is our co-host, Catherine Guyon. How are you, Catherine? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Excited to be back as always. And uh, and Murtaza, thank you so much. We are very honored to have you here on the podcast. I wonder if you'd like to introduce yourself and maybe give us a, a little bit of background about uh, you know where you grew up. Hi, thanks for having me here. I'm Murtaza Hanapur. I was born and, and raised in Kabul, Afghanistan, and I went to high school there. I went to college for one year and learning English. And then quit college and went to join the U.S. Army as a translator. And I worked there for like five years. Mm -hmm. And then before I moved into America, I quit my job and then immigrated to America. And we are going to dive much more into that because that's the good, nice, like overview of the last, uh, you know, probably 10 years of your life, if not longer. Um, so talk to me a bit about uh, why you went to college to learn English. I was always interested in learning English because I knew that it would open the door for a lot of information and everything because everything we we read and like if you are a mathematician or anything, so there's much more information in English rather than my native language, which was Persian. And we call that the dairy in Afghanistan. So that's why I always wanted to learn English to be able to communicate with foreigners and also learn more knowledge about everything. 
So that's why I thought English is a much a better choice. So I'd be able to to read the books and everything, which is very updated. Mm-hmm. That's why. And can you talk to us a bit about what it was like growing up in Kabul? Oh, it was a very good time actually, because uh, when the American invaded Afghanistan and uh, the Taliban had a very restricted rules, it was very difficult for people. The girls couldn't go to school, the women couldn't work. And when the American came to Afghanistan, so the girl went to school, the woman, they'd be able to work. And it was very good for me also because a lot of new schools were built. So I went to school and they grew up in a very good time actually because the American presence there. And then, um, yeah, it was not that bad because of mm-hmm. the American actually. The Kabul was much safer, but the the outside of Kabul, the other provinces, they were always in conflicts and fighting with Taliban. But I grew up in Kabul city. That was that was okay. Did you ever travel outside of Kabul as a young man? Did you ever travel into the countryside? Yes, the northern side was okay. The security on the north of Afghanistan was was good. It was reasonable but the security outside all southern afghanistan was not okay so i went to a very short trip for one week all the way to the border of turkmenistan and those area but uh, yeah but when i got a job uh, as a translator i worked in kandahar for two years and that, that said i didn't go there for for a trip or vacation i just went there for work but I was in the military base most of the times. Mertaz, I feel like the picture that we get here, you know, of, of life in other countries or in Af- Afghanistan is basically, you know, what we see on the news or when we meet people like yourself. Is there, what's one thing that maybe you've heard that us as Americans, like in our, you know, perception of Afghanistan that maybe we get wrong? Or is there anything that, you know, you think people believe about life there that's maybe not true? Do you understand what I'm, I'm getting at? Like something that Americans don't understand about Afghanistan, which- Yeah, because, obvi- yeah, because obviously, you know, we've never, we've never lived there. What, you know, what we see is maybe what we see on the news or what we learn from speaking to people like yourself. So, you know, is there anything about, you know, culture there or life there that Amer- maybe as Americans, like we don't understand or people often get wrong when they talk to you about, you know, your life there? Yeah, so like Afghanistan is completely on the other side of the globe. And we were secluded for, for like the whole time. We we're secluded from outside of the world. Every everybody else knows about America a little bit, like other countries, because they have access to internet, TV, and stuff like that. But we Afghans, we had a very primitive life there. Only agriculture, nothing new. So it was very different. We were very extremely religious country there. So most of the Afghans, they never heard about anything else outside Afghanistan. So that was, that was that's actually very hard for Americans to understand that, especially about the religious part, the people are very sensitive and it's very hard to convince them to change their ideas. 
that's why maybe you know this 20 years of war didn't work uh, didn't work out because people did not have access to education if america could bring education to every villages in afghanistan every part of afghanistan i am pretty sure afghanistan would be a much different country right now but they couldn't do it because of the security because of very harsh geography it's, it was actually impossible to bring security to every part of afghanistan and every school that was built by american the afghans thought that they are teaching non-muslim staff so they thought that's bad for them so they never anything about america they tried to oppose and disagree with so uh, and uh, and there's no much uh, research about Afghanistan, about the culture, about how people live there. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a lack of information that uh, before America went there, there was no a very good knowledge of understanding of Afghanistan and Afghan people. So that was all the problems that came together was geography, it was the very religious culture that we have there. And they all came together and uh, that's why America failed there. That's a very good point. And, you know, talking about being very isolated within Afghanistan, did you feel like when, uh, you know, America invaded and drove the Taliban out in 2001, um, do you feel like uh, at that time, Afghanistan, uh, Afghan people got a little bit more worldly? Uh, There was, there was more, shared knowledge of what was going on in the world at that time. Did that happen? Yes, actually. Even Afghanistan was better after America came. So there was security, a very small security, and mostly in Kabul and one or two major cities and Mazar Sharif in north and Herat in south. But like outside of the major cities, there was no any security and there was no any school actually it was mostly like madrasa where people could only learn about religion so there was no school of teaching science physics mm-hmm. mathematics stuff like that so like the more you learn about only religion uh, if there is nothing else so you cannot have a better country with with only religion so that, that was the reason actually i think America, it was hard to, to bring prosperity and security in Afghanistan. How old were you in 2001? Oh, I was born in 1990, so I was 11 years old at that time. I just only remember that America came with, uh, with uh, all these uh, armored vehicles, stuff like that. I saw them on the street, but I was a little 11 years old. And what did, in our talk uh, in the previous episode with our Iraqi interpreter, he talked a bit about how seeing the soldiers for the first time was like seeing aliens. These guys were huge. They were wearing Kevlar vests that made them enormous, these big green goggles, things like that. What was, the, what was it like the first time you saw an American soldier? It was actually pretty much like that. And Iraq was much better because they were a much advanced country at that time. They had like weapons and everything, and they had vehicles. But in Afghanistan, we did not have anything like that. You know? So it was much more alien for us rather than Iraqis. 
because we saw those uh, those American vehicles moving around and those people they were very different, so different to us. But uh, yeah, we always wondered, you know, like who are they, where they came from. Yeah, well, people got used after like a year or two. And uh, I saw the presence of American troops all over Kabul city for like a few years, for the first few years. And then they disappeared from big cities, you know, they went to outside, outside Kabul city, like the four uh, provinces. Mm-hmm. So then was, what was your first, obviously that was your expert first experience seeing an American soldier, but what was it like the first time maybe you interacted with one of them? I mean, were they, you know, it, it, interacting with a lot of people? Like when was the first opportunity that you maybe got to like, you know, speak to one of them or be around them a little bit more? Yeah, because I was, I was very interested in geography in school. So I read a lot of books about different countries and America was right there every time I wanted to read about geography because America was so advanced and so powerful and they had uh, the most uh, effects on the world. So anything I read about the industry, about military, about the movie, everything was America. So it got my interest over time that I always was interested to learn English, to, to go to America maybe eventually one day and learn about the cultures. I watched a lot of movies. So I wanted, so I went to school for one year to learn English. Then I thought, you know what? I can join the military, the U.S. military and as a translator and serve my country and serve America. Because America was in Afghanistan for good reason, because I saw they were building schools, hospitals, and they're helping people. And Afghanistan were changed so much at that time. So I, I was like, I want to just go and work and talk to them. Because when you talk to a native speaker, you learn the language much quicker. Mm-hmm. So I was looking for them. I went to, to a place to, to join the HR were hiring the translator for the military and uh, I felt the Pashto taste because most of the southern Afghanistan they speak Pashto so and my mother language is uh, Farsi Mm -hmm. so I felt then I took some classes of Pashto and then next time I went to uh, Kandahar and I was I passed the taste and uh, I started my job as a translator for a security company. It was a private security company that they were, they were uh, guarding the, the military base. So they were all Afghan and we had American supervisor. So I was a security guard and a translator at that time. Interesting. So there was sort of a hiring process. Uh, is, uh, is there a call to serve in Afghanistan? Do, do all young men have to serve in, in the army or uh, you know, in the military in some way, or is that everyone's choice? Oh, no, not uh, at that time. The Taliban nowadays says that they're going to do that, but not at the American time, because it was, uh, it was like voluntary. Like everybody was interested, they could join the army, but they didn't have to. So did I hear you say 
hear you right, uh, Murtaza, when you were explaining it, you had to not only learn English, but you also had to, did you say you have to had to learn a second language in there or brush up on a second language? So you have to learn multiple languages? Yes, because in Afghanistan, there's like two major languages, Pashto and Farsi, and then there are like Uzbeks. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, my my native language was Farsi and uh, 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 and in school we learn Pashto. Pashto is a different language, but we we have to learn that was mandatory in school. And then uh, my Pashto was okay. I could understand very well, could speak, but it was not that satisfying. So yeah, but uh, when I took the second chance, uh, I was accepted. When you started your job then, you know, with the security company, I mean, did you, did you enjoy it? Like, you know, that, that seems like a lot to happen in, you know, a short amount of time to learn those languages and get your job. I mean, did, did you enjoy it? What were you kind of doing on a daily basis? Oh, actually, there was like a uh, hundred, more than a hundred uh, security guards. So the only communication they had with American was through us. So we had a telephone, we were contacting to the uh, central, to the American and to the security guards. So anything the American said to us, we told the security guards and vice versa. So I enjoyed my job. Yes, that was a very, that was my first job. It was a very good experience. I was far away from home. It was my first time. I think I was 21 years old, but uh, I, I enjoyed my job. I just missed my family a little bit, but overall, it was a very good experience. I used to hike the mountain because I was in a, on a mountain. So I went for hiking and enjoyed. Yeah, it was very exciting. I liked it. What did your family think when you said, I'm going to go become an interpreter for, for the Americans? My family was okay. I've never heard from anybody disagreeing with me. And uh, because it was uh, also a financial thing, you know, because it helped my family and everybody financially. Mm -hmm. Because Americans pay more to the translators than average Afghans' income. So I helped my family and they were all okay. They, they seemed fine. And uh, I've never heard any complaints that you don't have to work for them. They have a different culture or they're not good. Yeah, they were all okay with me. Were they worried about the, the danger that you would be in? Yes, of course. Uh, so I was actually very dangerous. Uh, so when I went there, I used to take a taxi. So that was very dangerous. Because when you work for a U.S. military directly, so they fly you with helicopters everywhere. But because that was a private security company, even my supervisors that were Americans, they used to come with a taxi. Yeah, it was, it was especially the routes to the military base. It was like two hours from Kandahar City. Mm -hmm. And it was very dangerous, especially for me, because I have a different ethnicity. So I look more Asian and uh, like people on South Kandahar, like Southern Afghanistan, there's no Asian. So they immediately, anybody saw me, they knew immediately 
that I was either in the military or working for Americans because I was different, you know. There's no, there's no reason for people like me to go there. I don't speak the language like perfectly. I have, uh, of course, accents because you know, I learned Pashto. So yeah, it was uh, it made me much easier target, you know, when anybody saw me. But but, uh, but I took the risk. It was worth it because huh? I thought I was serving my country and uh, get paid you know it was good. Martaza were there a lot of you know people like you that you worked with interpreters who you know had, had gone to school I'm just trying to get a sense of like you know when you were going to college to learn English and then you know got this job like how many um, you know people you worked with that were also interpreters was this something that you know a lot of people were doing or were there not that many of you? Like over uh, my 20 years work with the military, I've seen a lot of interpreters, like too many. Most of them are in, in the U.S. right now. And there's a little small group that left there. But uh, yes, when I was at school, a lot of people just wanted to get a job as a translator and work because uh, they knew that they would learn English much better and uh, the, the pay was good. So, yes, uh, a lot of my friends, they wanted to actually join and be a translator. But uh, it was also a very security issue. The American couldn't trust everybody, no? So they had to they had a talk, uh, an interview, and a polygraph test, and everything. So not everybody could get a job. Yeah, but I was, uh, yeah, but uh, I, uh, I, I got a job. Yeah. Can you can you talk about any of the the missions that you were on as as an interpreter? Uh, was there anything that really stuck out to you as as dangerous or um, one that you were glad you came back from? Yeah, like like one time I remember I was walking in the military base and the the motor just came and uh, it was like a, a few feet away from me. It was exploded there. It was a blast. Uh, it was so dust and everything. I didn't know what happened, but I was okay. Yeah, that that was the only danger that uh, happened to me actually. But I worked most of the times I worked in the office. Mm -hmm. So because there were Afghan army and there were Americans. So uh, I, I was there because there were uh, cameras, like uh, balloons. They were controlling the whole village. So I was there. There was a, a translation needed between American and Afghan. So I was in a, a tactical office. And how old were you when you work, were working in, in Kandahar? When I started to work, I was 21 years old. 21. And what year was that? It was 2011. 2011. Uh, so am I right? Around 20, uh, 2010, there was uh, some uprising of violence uh, around Kandahar. Is that right? Yes, actually, the year before I went there, um, uh, people told the stories that there were violence, and there were a lot of prisoners that they, they escaped uh, from the prison. They dug a tunnel, uh, a long tunnel, and they escaped from the prisons. So while you were, you know, working, you mentioned, you know, 
the safety of it all while you were working like were you able to let your family know where you were because of safety reasons or like how much did your family know about what you were doing or did you kind of have to you know keep it from them a little bit because of safety so my brother was uh, an afghan army so the afghan army and american they were working very close they were actually fighting together so my brother gave uh, my family a lot of information because my brother knew what was going on where i was at so it was uh, my brother could explain everything very well and uh, he was very talkative you know? that, that was good and you know? also he explained everything to my other families yeah when did you decide to enter the siv program so after uh, it was in 2015 that I applied uh, to uh, SIV and uh, it took uh, one year, I think, and then it was approved for a visa. Then I had to wait another almost three years uh, to be able to get a visa for me and my wife and I had a daughter. So yeah, overall it took like, uh, three or two or three years mm -hmm. and uh, finally in December 2017 I I was granted a visa SIV and then I, I immigrated here. So when you first decided to, to sign up for the SIV did you know how long it was going to take? Yes because I uh, because there were other people ahead of me they were applying and all the people who I worked with from 2011. So the, pe the people I knew, they worked much longer. So yeah, a lot of them was, uh, a lot of them was coming to America at a time. And there was the people that they, they were on the interview stages. They were on different SIV stages. So mm -hmm. they have to go a lot of paperwork, a lot of security checks. And uh, the longest was uh, for most of the people, uh, administrative processing. I think it was a background check that the CIA have to do a background check, make sure they're, they're good people. That's what I was interested in also with our Iraqi interpreter is talking about these background checks. It's like in America, we get a social security number. We have you know everything associated with that. They know everywhere I've ever lived, uh, where I went to school, my blood type, they know everything. But... Is that the same in Afghanistan? How does how does someone do a background check? Uh, you know, in Afghanistan, like in Afghanistan, we don't have a background check, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever you do, nobody gonna put you in a system, so nobody can recognize you. We had a paper, or only paper documents, and most of them they were destroyed. So there's no background check, there's no social security number, there's no nothing. Uh, most of the people, they don't have even ID card. So we don't know what is the population of Afghanistan exactly. It's all just estimation. So yeah, but, but uh, American, so from the first day you visit them or start working with them, they collect information about you, like mm. through your whole time, so they, they keep collecting those informations uh, and like after five years, maybe there's a lot of information. They understand you, what kind of person you are. 
either if you're a threat for the U.S. government or not. So yeah, when you do the background check, so I think they just want to distinguish between you and uh, bad people because there's a lot of bad people with the same name, even the last name, because we have a very similar first and last name because all Muslim countries have the same name. So yeah, like if there's a bad person in the system with the CIA, they just want to distinguish if it is you or a different person. So once once they clear that, uh, and you'll get permission to come to America. I'd imagine part of that process too was the the security company you were working for. Then did they also have to you know vouch for you in some way throughout that process? So it was a security company, but everything was done by the U.S. military, and uh, we call them CI. I think there was a CIA. Mm-hmm. So it was done by uh, by the CIA, even okay. like in all the military bases, anything related to security or stuff like that, it was done by uh, uh, CIA, not anybody else, not private people. So I only worked for 10 months in Kandahar, and then I quit my job, went back to Kabul, tried to learn more English, and then... Uh, I quit a college again. I went uh, for the U.S. military this time. So I got a job with the U.S. military. That's why my supervisor was uh, referred me to this show here. He was working with me in Kandahar when I worked uh, with the U.S. military. You fam? Then, yes. Then when I uh, uh, when I came back to Kabul, I, I got another job uh, uh, as a translator for American uh, advisor. They were training and advising Afghan army. So I worked for three years in Kabul, that was safe. Uh, and I worked like three years and uh, I worked with Afghan commando. So the American supervisors, the American military, uh, the American private, uh, the, the, they were training Afghan army. And I worked with them for three years. Did you need a recommendation from like a general to to get finally your your uh, visa? Oh no, actually, the SIV just requires that you have a recommendation letter from a U.S. soldier. It doesn't matter if he is an officer, a high rank, or lower. Yeah, but before the SIV, there was another process. It was you needed a recommendation from a general, and mm-hmm. they were only issuing 50 visa in a year, so that was a very long process actually, because there are hundreds of thousand people that worked uh, for U.S. government in some way over the course of 10 years, like 20 years. Sorry, 20 years is a long time. So a lot of like in 2014. There was uh, more than 150,000 U.S. soldiers, and there was a lot of people from other NATO and uh, private securities organizations. So there was a lot of involvement from other countries, so, and they needed transfer and cultural advisor, or the people like as a cook, as a chef, and uh, just regular people. They needed all kind of uh, worker. So, yeah, there's a lot of people. 
that's why this process needs to be much faster if they want to get out everybody who helped the U.S. government. That's why uh, there's a lot of people still left in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So you got married and had a child during that waiting period? Yes. Uh, uh, I got married and I worked in uh, the last three years. I worked in Kabul. That was so that was like a regular work like America because mm-hmm. I went to work in the morning and then come back at noon. So, yes, I had a lot of time to spend with family and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I got married in 2016. Yes. And and- I'm imagining that you probably told your, your new wife, like, hey, I'm in this program. They might send me to America. Do you want to come with me? Like, <laughs> Yes, exactly. I remember I told her. Uh, she was like, uh, she was confused because she didn't know much about America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she seemed okay because uh, she knew that America was better than Afghanistan. So, yeah, she agreed. And she, I've never said anything from her. And then she's happy here, actually. You know? It's been uh, four years and she not visited Afghanistan even once uh, in the last four years. And she seems okay. What was it like, uh, I mean, Catherine, maybe you want to uh, chime in here if, if timeline-wise, but uh, Murtaza, what was it like the first time you, you, when you got the okay, when you got the approval to come to America, how did you, what was that day like? Like getting on the plane and, and leaving Afghanistan for the first time? I remember when my visa was approved, I was very excited. I was very happy. And then when my visa was issued, it was a big deal. It was a life changing to me because I knew when I moved to another country, especially America, my life would change completely. So I remember I was very excited when my visa finally issued after a wedding of three years. And finally, I got my visa, and we, I quit from my work. Did that feel good? And, All of us kind of sometimes think, like, <laughs> I'm going to quit my job and move to another country. Was that like, hey, guys, yeah. I'm out. I'll see you later. Especially if you're in Afghanistan. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Because I already knew a lot about America. I knew it was a country of opportunity. I can go there and go to school, learn travel around the world because uh, I, I always interested you know in nature and uh, traveling and stuff like that so i knew if i was in afghanistan uh, i couldn't do any of this so i just wanted to get out of afghanistan so it was very exciting to me but i always wondered what was going to happen but i knew i was in a good hand you know i would go to america and there's a lot of good people there that help you. It's not like Afghanistan is a very corrupted country. So it was very exciting, you know, getting on the plane and then traveling for next 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So it's a very long flight, like 14 hours. We we'll have to wait in Dubai for, for overnight. Yeah, and uh, there was a... A lot of agencies here, the government that's helping the uh, Afghan. It was a very smooth uh, process. It's very 
long and tedious when you're in Afghanistan and waiting for your visa. Once you get the visa and everything, then it's very easy and smooth. So how did, um, you mentioned all these agencies that kind of helped you once you came here to the U.S. You know, what was that like kind of in some ways starting over? You're in a new country, you have your family, you have to you know, start over and make your home here. Like, what was that like? Because we talked earlier, you mentioned how different America is from Afghanistan. So what was that like kind of trying to get your life started and settling into an entirely different culture here? Yes, there's a lot of agencies in America that's funded by uh, U.S. government. So before you move to America, you apply, you send your copies of your visa and everything and they rent you an apartment here, and they try to purchase some basic stuff for your family. So yeah, when you get to America, uh, you can go to straight to your apartment and they try, they, they apply for social security, they try to they help you with the getting your permanent residency card and stuff like that. So, uh, and then, then they, try to uh, find a job for you. The, so yeah, it's very helpful here. And those agencies are, there are Afghan people working there, people from Iran that we have very similar culture. So yeah, those people working for those agencies, they know the needs of Afghans and mm -hmm. uh, the needs of new uh, immigrants. Yeah, it's very good process. What was the first thing you noticed landing in, in America? What was the first thing you noticed about the country? Yeah, so I landed in uh, Los Angeles airport. The weather was uh, very warm. It was very different because it was winter when I flew from uh, Kabul, Afghanistan. And uh, uh, I actually knew a lot about America before moving here. Because I used to watch a lot of American movies. So my English was okay. I did want to ask so, you about that because we talked with our uh, Iraqi interpreter guest about he, he watched a lot of movies as well and was just, you know, mesmerized by the stars, how they spoke the language. Was there a particular movie that you zeroed in on that you watched all the time? Yes, I remember watching Shaoxing Redemption. I watched it like three times or something. I liked uh, the voice of uh, Morgan Freeman. Uh, mm -hmm. It was hard for me to understand him. Yeah, I just wanted to learn uh, how people speak, especially the, how like regular people, because they skip a lot of things. They don't pronounce completely everything. So it was harder for me to catch them. And, uh, and those movies helped me to learn more because English is a, a very difficult language. Huh? Mm -hmm. I've been trying to learn it for the last uh, 11 or 12 years, and I still struggle sometimes. But uh, overall, these movies helped me so much learning English and everything. So I knew a lot about America before before moving here because i expected everything you know uh, i imagined the city i i watched a lot of videos about sacramento because i was coming to sacramento so i was thinking about the weather about the 
about the environment, about geography, everything. So I chose California because I thought that's a very good weather. It was very similar to Afghanistan, actually, because California is dry. Uh, it's very similar weather to Afghanistan. Yeah, but the winter is uh, much colder in Afghanistan. The winter here is not that cold. So I was thinking about like Chicago. I thought oh, that's way too cold. And thinking about the Texas, Houston, and like no, that's too hot there. So I was also thinking about the Nevada, Las Vegas. The desert is too hot in summer. So I thought that California was the best choice. So yeah, I, I chose Sacramento. <laughs> I don't blame you one bit up here in the Northeast in Pennsylvania and Ohio. We get that lake effect snow and cold and by February or March, you are just over it. <laughs> if I yeah, can, I mean, yeah. every, every winter, I envy everybody on the West Coast, you know? <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I wish I could travel to the East. Uh, yeah, I always wanted to. America is a very huge country. I've been to all the way to Seattle, Washington, to North San Diego, but uh, not to the East Coast. Yeah, I, I would love to visit those states. Uh, I, I went to Lake Tahoe actually yesterday for a hike. Huh? You, you guys have been to Lake Tahoe? It's a, a beautiful lake out there. Yeah, I, I was there yesterday. <laughs> oh, excellent. Um some of your friends who are interpreters in Afghanistan, uh, thinking about the recent evacuations, is there, did, did most people that you knew, were they able to get out? Uh, is there anyone that, that you know that is still there, that is still trying to make it work under the new government? Yes, most of my friends, uh, the economy is very bad in Afghanistan right now. It's a very severe economic situation there. There's no jobs. There's no work, so and the, the money uh, was blocked by U.S. government, so the banks they cannot operate mm -hmm. very well, and it caused a lot of problems in Afghanistan, uh, financial problems. So hopefully, they they talk and negotiate because I have my whole family there in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So I wish I could help my family and uh, bring them in America, but it's a very difficult process. So hopefully I'll be able to bring my family. I have uh, four brothers, uh, five brothers mm -hmm. and two sisters and my parents, they are still in Afghanistan. So hopefully one day I can help them uh, bring them here and uh, there's a lot of people uh, try to get out. I knew like a lot of my family, like my relatives, my uncle, I heard that he moved to Pakistan and a lot of other friends that they moved to Iran. And there's a lot of people trying to get out of Afghanistan because it is so difficult to live there. And there's a crisis going on actually right now. There's a food shortages and there's no job. There's nothing there. So everybody I talk to, they are uh, complaining about the, how difficult it is to live there. People actually starving, you know, there. And I, a few days ago, I heard one of my friends that I talked to so often, he were killed by somebody. And, 
I don't know who, but he was killed. Yes, it is, it is very hard to imagine what's going on in Afghanistan. And it's very difficult for me because every morning when I wake up, I listen to TV and news. I hear a lot about Afghanistan. When I try to use uh, my Facebook, social media, I read about Afghanistan. So, because I grew up in Afghanistan, so uh, my uh, everything I read, everything I do on a social media, it's connected with my friends and family in Afghanistan. So it is very hard not to think about them. Completely understandable, and, and you know, to to want to be connected with them. I'm so sorry to hear about your friend. Um, and I, I've heard a lot about these reprisal killings that, that have happened and revenge killings that, that are coming, you know, that the Taliban is doing or, or just different parties, militias. Um, and and I, I, we certainly both hope uh, that your family is safe and able to, to come to America um, as soon as possible to get out of that situation uh, because it's, it's quite awful over there. Um, and I, I don't know if you are connected with any service members or if you're connected with any organizations that are currently trying to do that. Actually, there's no uh, process uh, right now that granting a visa for family of uh, translators. So I try to sponsor them, but uh, like when you sponsor somebody, you need a high income. I've been here only for two years and I'm going to college. So I don't have a high income, so I cannot uh, meet those requirements to sponsor them to bring them here. But uh, hopefully I find a way to help them and bring them here. At least some of my, my family, like brothers. You know. If certainly if anybody listens to this podcast and wants to be able to help you uh, in that mission, um, I will have them reach out to me and I'll definitely connect them with you to, uh, I know that there's a lot of people within the veteran space that are trying to help out uh, their interpreter brothers and, and their fam extended families. Um, so if I, if I end, end up hearing something, Murtaza, I'll, I'll definitely, you know, connect you with them. Thank you so much. Of course. How often do you get to talk to your your family? Are you able to stay pretty well connected with them or? Yes, I talk to them every once in a while, like twice a week. Yeah, I talk um, to my brother. I, I told them to fill out the paperwork. So I send it to US immigration. So hopefully they grant him a visa. Yeah, but uh, there was some problem for the paperwork, so I have to redo it and uh, send it to U.S. immigration. But uh, I don't think that's uh, gonna help because uh, that's, we did not fill the, the requirements. So I don't think uh, they can, uh, and there are like uh, hundreds of thousand people like me, they're doing the same thing to their families. So the more people, the difficult it is for the U.S. government, and they cannot bring everybody to America here. You know, like mm -hmm. there are like 40 million population in Afghanistan, and they cannot bring everybody here. Well, they try to help as much as they can, especially the people who help the U.S. government. But uh, hopefully, I find a way to bring my family here.
Definitely. And it just feels like such a helpless situation of, of how many can we help in, in the shortest amount of time possible and, uh, and hoping that the situation doesn't get worse over there. Yeah, especially like nowadays, there's no embassy. There was a U.S. embassy in Kabul that was issuing visa. So right now, there's no flight out of Afghanistan. There's no embassy. So but even the people who have a right paperwork and everything, even people who have American residency, they're permanent resident, or maybe some citizens, they're stuck in there. So... Uh, hopefully in the future, America open their embassy in Kabul and uh, help the people with the immigration process and help people financially so people don't starve there. Our Army veteran came on, um, Adam Zafudo, who talked uh, at length about his time in Afghanistan in working with his interpreter um, understanding uh, that you know his interpreter, he was able to, to bring over to America, but they're still very much trying to bring more people over. Um, was talking about uh, sort of being able to integrate, uh, bring them into America, and have them sort of positioned in a community. We're bringing Afghan interpreters into Pittsburgh. How can Pittsburghers? make their life easier right now? How can we welcome them in and make, and make them feel a part of our community? Um, Murtaz, I don't know if you have any words of advice for maybe our American listeners, uh, and maybe some of, uh, if, if any uh, Afghan interpreters or Afghanistan uh, citizens that, that may have gotten over here to the United States, maybe some words of advice on how uh, best that we can help our neighbor um, feel like they are welcome here. Yeah, when Afghans they came here, they need immediate help, especially nowadays that uh, there's too many new people here. I heard that uh, in the two weeks, uh, like a month ago, when America evacuated uh, the citizens and the people, they evacuated like more than 100,000 of people. And those people, the like the agencies here they were not designed for to accept that many people mm -hmm. so they are very crowded so they need immediate a lot of people they they're at a hotel and, uh, and uh, they don't have a shelter right now there's a lot of people yeah just but uh i think in pittsburgh those area there's probably not that problem with the housing and uh, those stuff i don't know here in california there's no uh, apartments uh, to rent for new immigrants and those people they cannot even rent an apartment even if you have money because you need to have a background in america and they show that you'll be able to you should you need a job to be able to uh, pay your rent. So the renters, they don't, uh, they don't trust. So there's a problem, a shortage of apartments here. And over there, there's probably, I don't know if uh, there's too many people went to Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm not sure because most of the Afghans, I, I know that they are in California, Virginia, Texas, Colorado and uh, Washington, Seattle. 
And uh, I don't know anybody actually in Pittsburgh, but uh, I think uh, when people came here to America, they need immediate help, like finding an apartment and getting a driver's license to get around because they need like medical attention to their kids and families, need to get groceries. So yeah, just help them for like first a couple of months so they can obtain a driver's license and uh, so they can be on their own. With as long as, you know, you said the whole process takes and everything, I think maybe us as Americans, you know, if we meet you know, um, people that are coming here, maybe we just need to, you know, reach out and offer a helping hand any way we can. Like maybe it's to the point where we just kind of need to take it upon ourselves as individuals to help because with that many people coming here, you know, and as long as, you know, you explained it took you to get here and get settled, maybe uh, we need to reach outside of the government's help a little bit and just as ordinary people just be kind and be cognizant of the fact that these people, you know, much like yourself, when you came to America are, are starting over. Yes, like uh, the government is doing its best, actually. Uh, I know some of my friends there in the military bases right now because in America evacuated those many people. They did not go through the procedure of getting a visa and everything. So that's why they're processing them right now in the military bases in uh, Texas and Virginia. So they're gonna get a social security card and stuff like that. And then they can move uh, whichever states they want to uh, once they arrive there. So they don't bring anybody in California right now because it's overcrowded, there's no apartments. So they send and they ask them to choose either Texas or other places. The good thing is America is a huge country. And there's a lot of population, so like a hundred thousand people is gonna be nothing for America because you know, they can they can spread across America, and uh, I'm pretty sure America will have the capacity to help like many more people, maybe millions of people, and uh, it, it's okay for America because America is like fifty states, you know, fifty countries. It has that capacity, you know, to welcome more and more people. Like that idea. And uh, as we as we wrap up here, Mataza, I want to thank you uh, so much for coming on and sharing your story. Um, and uh, and we're wishing you all the best over in California. And uh, uh, couldn't be more honored uh, to share this time with you today. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I've uh, uh, it was my first time talking on podcast so i always i knew a better english to be able to speak better uh, stuff like that but uh i'm going to call it hopefully like one day i'll be able to speak just like an american that's that's my dream um i just want to be able to learn the language perfectly and be able to speak uh, and understand everything in english well, yeah, I, I I thought you were wonderful. I thought you did a fantastic yeah. job. Um, yeah. So fa fantastic. Thank you. Um, to our audience, again, if if you know of a resource for Murtaza, 
Uh, please reach out to the Veterans Breakfast Club, myself, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Uh, uh, Catherine, I don't know if there's a way to contact WTRF if someone ends up hearing uh, anything and can contact, connect with you as well. Yes, I will give my email address. It's K-G-H-I-O-N at WTRF.com. So if anyone, um, you know, even in my area knows of a resource for Mercaza, I will be happy to pass that along. Just send me an email. Um, so thank you, Murtaza. Uh, we will hope to see you again on another episode of, of The Scuttlebutt. Uh, the best of luck to you in California. And uh, I can't say it enough. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service as well. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me here in this show. I want to thank Millerstown Pick Apart for their generous support and sponsorship of this program. For Millerstown's hours, direction, inventory, and pricing, go to pickapartyard.com. That's P-I-C-A-P-A-R-T-Y-A-R-D.com. Thank you so much, Millerstown, and uh, we'll see you on the next Scuttlebutt.